I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show, the podcast where my friend Michael Sielski joins myself, David Murphy, <laughs> for a rollicking discussion of all things Philadelphia sports. And today, Mike, we are going to talk about a number of different things. First of all, we're going, we're going to have Inquire Phillies beat writer or co-Phillies beat writer Matt Breen join us to talk about the Phillies signing of Michael Saunders, a player who I had mentioned last week mm-hmm. in a column that I wrote uh, and essentially peed all over it because I did not think <laughs> I did not think that Michael Saunders would be the kind of guy who would sign with the Phillies. Uh, so clearly I'm all on board. You got Mike- your finger on the pulse of the uh, <laughs> the baseball team in town. I am, I am all on board the, the Michael Saunders Express, but we're going to talk to Matt Breen and find out about the contract and, and what it does for this Phillies lineup. I would argue it does significant things, uh, but we'll see what Matt, the expert, has to say. But first we're going to talk about football because we it's like Philadelphia and that's what we do. That is what we do. Cheese steaks and football and, and dropped vowels. This is the second week in a row we've mentioned cheesesteaks in the first half hour of the program, and we don't have Mike Kern here this time. I know. So. Thank God we're not going to talk about tacos. <laughs> we're going to hey, talk about come on. First. Hey, hey, you, 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 don't, you, know, you don't like a jack-in-the-box taco. I, don't, I can't do anything for you. That's phenomenal. That might have to go in the open. <laughs> it might be. So I, I was going to come in here and, and uh, redo the open a little bit because we need to get some Joel Embiid in there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God. We need to trust the In fact, the it, might just, it might just be all Joel Embiid. <laughs> My favorite part about him is how he does his post-game interviews, and he crouches down so that Molly Sullivan can be eye-to-eye with him. Oh, my God. It's uh, And she, I mean, she is tiny. She, yeah. Molly is is a small person. She's got to jump around in the shower just to get wet. <laughs> and uh, Joel is not. Yeah, no. so it's, that's pretty amusing. But that's right? like my, uh, that's the endearing thing that Joel Embiid endears himself to me with is his uh there's post, a lot, his post a lot, name crouch there's a lot that he's doing right these days there's absolutely a lot he's doing right and we'll so, talk about that as well after yeah. matt breen joins us uh we'll talk about the divisional playoffs because it was a after four days of crap football over the last couple of weeks those two days were awesome sunday was incredible yeah uh my boy matt ryan continues to prove dave murphy right mm-hmm. um and uh what else are we getting into we're going to get into jason kelsey first though okay so Jimmy Kemsky of phillyvoice.com today, which is Tuesday, Tuesday, has a report that cites a source. That which is said, important to do. Which is important to do. Uh, a little birdie. A little tells, birdie told Jimmy. A little birdie told Jimmy that the Eagles are, quote, considering moving on. Actually, I shouldn't have said quote because it's a paraphrase. Yeah. I should just, uh, here we go. It is a quote. Source. Colon, Eagles considering moving on from starting center Jason Kelsey. So somebody either in Kelsey's camp or the Eagles camp told Jimmy that they're currently pondering either a trade or a release. My question to you is twofold. Okay. A, is Jason Kelsey back next year? AKA, what do you make of this report Mm -hmm. and its validity? And B, should he be back next year? Is this a wise thing? for the Eagles to be doing right now considering um, you know how 
considering the lack of depth they have on the offensive line. Well, wise is an interesting word because if they were truly wise, I'd argue they wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. I mean, let's face it, part of the reason, not entirely, but part of the reason that they are considering uh, cutting Kelsey or moving on from Kelsey is that he's going to make a lot of money. And so, and they are up flush up against the salary cap. Everybody knew going in the offseason they were going to have to trim somewhere. Um, so that's part of it. The other part of it is I'm sure that at some level they feel like they could probably upgrade. Uh, Jason is what, I think 28, 29? 29. 29. Um, everybody knows what he does well. Everybody knows what he doesn't do so well. Very mobile, can get out in space and pull and, and is excellent at, at blocking in those kind of ways. And, um, you know, the first two years that Chip Kelly was here, he was terrific at center. But he's also undersized and at the point of attack can get overwhelmed by a defensive tackle or a nose tackle. Uh, and that's clogs up the Eagles running game. So, and they also committed, I think, more penalties than any center in the NFL last year. And on that note, to kind of tie in what we're going to talk about later, first of all, Kelsey, as Kemsky notes, is the 10th highest paid center uh, in the NFL. $6.2 million mm-hmm. cap number next year. The 11th highest paid center, there's a, there's a bit of a drop off there. So essentially those top 10 is one tier and then you right. get in the next pay grade, which, you know, there's about a $2 million difference mm-hmm. between Kelsey and, and then the guy just below him in the hierarchy. The argument would be, on the Eagles' case... We can get a reasonable center exactly. for, a, for a reasonable price. Jason Kelsey's not a top-10 center. We sh- he shouldn't be paid like a top-10 center. Right. Uh, now, the guy who is the highest-paid center, or one of the highest-paid centers, was also in act. Actually, they're, they were all in action on on, uh, on Divisional Weekend. But the one guy I had in mind was Marquise Pouncey mm-hmm. of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he is more of your prototypical, yes, uh, you know, road grading center, uh, which is something that the Andy Reid system never prioritized. You know, no, Hank, Hank no. Fraley was was Bubba a small Miller guy. Bubba Miller was the first Miller. first center there. Yeah. Bubba Miller was a small guy. Um, they, they've always kind of you know, a saved some money at the center position by by going for these you know smart you know AQ Shipley right. um, kind of these smart undersized guys that they don't have to pay a lot of money mm-hmm. but can can kind of play in the screen game. You know, playing the misdirection game, right? Yada yada yada, and and you know, work with the quarterback, and, and you know, be smart enough to call blocking plays. But I would argue, and this is one of the things that really jumped out at me this divisional weekend. Um, you need there's an argument that you need power blockers in the interior of, of your offensive line, and I think the Steelers uh, probably made that argument better than anybody against the Chiefs, mm-hmm. where the game was 31 degrees, spitting a little bit. It was clearly not ideal playing conditions as the Chiefs receivers, right. you know, and Kendrick West dropping that that yeah. ball just out of the blue kind yeah. of showed us. <laughs> it was not an ideal game to be running the West Coast offense, um, particularly Andy Reid's version of it. It was a great game to have a power running back who can fall forward for three yards at yep. minimum every time yep. he touches the ball. And one of the interesting things to me about the playoff field is if you really look at it, I don't know if this is a a paradigm shift in the NFL for shifting back in time, but, Mm -hmm. you know, Dallas is running an offense that they ran with Emmitt Smith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very simple. It's it's predicated on running on first down, you know, getting four or five yards Mm -hmm. and then setting up your play action game from there. Pittsburgh throws... A little bit more, but they have the versatility to get in. I mean, Le'Veon yeah. Bell had 17 carries 
with three minutes left in the second quarter, I yeah. think. You know? I, mean, I think what you're talking about is... And then Atlanta with Devontae Freeman. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is what the... I think the best definition of Moneyball, quote-unquote, that's ever been offered, which is uh, the one that Paul DePodesta offered while he was with the Mets, an executive with the Mets, which is that it is the exploitation of stagnant systems, that once everybody starts doing things the same way, you move to the forefront of doing things a little bit differently. And that may be a new thing that nobody's ever seen before, or it may be an old thing, you know, that, that everybody thought was obsolete. And I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying. You know, we can look at the four teams that are now in the NFL semifinals coming up this weekend, but the Cowboys could just as easily be there. If not for the fact one could argue that they didn't stick to the plan that you're talking about by not giving the ball to Ezekiel Elliott more and keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field. You know, everybody in the NFL nowadays and Andy Reid and Doug Peterson certainly fall into this category would argue that, well, you have to A, throw the ball to score points and then B, you have to disrupt your opponent's passing game in order to keep them from scoring points. You got to get to the quarterback. And that's true as far as it goes. But the other aspect to that is just don't give the ball to the opposing quarterback. Don't give it to Aaron Rodgers. Don't keep giving it to Matt Ryan. You know, that was one of the things that hurt the Seahawks on Saturday night against the Falcons was that they couldn't sustain. If it wasn't Russell Wilson making a great throw or scrambling around, they weren't sustaining drives to keep that potent Falcons offense off the field. So to bring this back to Jason Kelsey, I think, it would make sense. To, do I think that the Eagles should get rid of Jason Kelsey? If they think there's a viable alternative out there in a more traditional center for less money, I would not have a problem with that. Um, the question is, I think, you know, and I think we, we discussed this before the show, are they really, really, really thinking about getting rid of Jason Kelsey? Or are they just planting the seed in his mind that, hey, we're thinking about getting rid of you, it might behoove you to take a pay cut if you really want to stay here. We know how much you like Philadelphia. You know, you love the area. You're a leader on the team. You know, do you, you work well with Carson Wentz. Do us a solid and take a pay cut, and you can keep your starting job. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's almost as if you knew I wanted to well, address that point. You, you said it before that you wanted to All address right. that point before the show. You're right. I've actually spent the last half hour crunching numbers <laughs> and trying to figure out you know, what the Eagles could save on Jason Kelsey's salary. But first, since we brought this topic up and let's let's tie it into a bow, Travis Frederick is listed at 6'3", 317 pounds. He is the highest paid center okay. uh, in the NFL, and he's Ezekiel, one of Ezekiel Elliott's uh, chauffeur, chauffeurs down the field, whereas Kelsey is listed at 6'3", 282. That's and a big see, difference. Yeah, and, and, I mean, you, you see it. You see it that's throughout. That's 35 pounds. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yep. And the so the question would be, A, you know, we talk about these paradigm shifts and, and kind of, you know, progress is a spiral. Um, you know, sometimes you go back yeah. and then you move forward and it would make sense economically. Um, like the economics of athletic performance fascinates me. Like when you look at these kickers, just like kicking 56 yards. Remember, once upon a time, you didn't attempt a 50 yard field goal unless you had like, you know, Sebastian Janikowski. Right. Uh, now guys are like kicking. I would never have kicked that field goal that Dan Bailey kicked 56 yards. Um, there was a, a you mean the Mason Crosby one? The one that gave me the, the lead initially in the final minutes. Crosby was the one who hit the fifty. All right, then maybe yard. it was maybe it was that one. I, yeah. There was a situation where oh yeah, that was it was it was because yeah. it was Mike McCartney that I was right. quibbling with. But I would I would have punted there. You quibbling with Mike McCartney? <laughs> I, I find that hard to believe. But but like kickers, and it makes sense economically if you think about it, kind of freaking freakonomicsly, mm-hmm. as kicking becomes, you know, more highly rewarded 
and, and the NFL becomes a higher profile sport, more kids, you know, are screwing around in the soccer field one day right. and, and kick a football and say, hey, maybe I should do this instead mm-hmm. of playing soccer. I can maybe make some money doing this. Now go down to cornerbacks where, you know, the Eagle, one of the big determinant uh, factors contributing to the Eagles success early in the Andy Reid era was that they built secondaries designed to stop the, pa- the the game that the NFL was about to become. Right. Um, you know, Bobby, they drafted Bobby Taylor, shut down Michael Irvin. They, you know, they, Lido, ha- they Lido. signed Troy Vincent. They, they draft Lito and Sheldon. And what happens in 2004, the rules change to open up, you know, but, the passing game. So and now, they're ready for it. Now, in the meantime, you know, the rest of the NFL, that's the other thing that jumped out at me was how, how big cornerback play uh, impacts a team's performance. Like, mm-hmm. when you watch that, that Texans team stinks yeah. on offense. I mean, Brock Osweiler is awful. awful. Uh, for, for all the crap we heap on Howie at times, at least they did not uh, <laughs> sign Brock Osweiler. It's like watching – um, a right-handed Randy Johnson when he came up in the major yeah. leagues, like before Randy Johnson became great, when he was just six ten and throwing sidearm pitches that nobody had any idea where they were going. Yeah. that's what it's like watching Brock Osweiler. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. His throwing motion makes me gives me a headache. That's a fireable offense. I yeah. mean, if, 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 if somebody watched him for an extended amount of time and decided that he was worth seventy-two, and uh. part of it is panic. I'm sure. Um, I mean, you need some kind of quarterback, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Tony Romo would make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that team is ready to win. That team is absolutely ready to, to compete in that conference. But I bring that up because you have a guy like A.J. Boye, um, you know, six-foot, physical corner, like was a backup for the last three years. Mm-hmm. But, he's, you know, him and Jonathan Joseph all of a sudden are like shutting down wide yep. receivers. And you, you look team by team, you know, the Patriots, uh, you know, they're finally rebuilding that secondary. Uh, you know, the Steelers season started to turn around. Around Eric when Rowe. The, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Right. <laughs> um. But anyway, so teams have been adapting to this new NFL for the last decade now, and now it might be getting to the point where, uh, you know, the the market inefficiency is actually in the power running game right. because teams have been building their rosters to stop this, you know, 60-40 pass run dis- distribution, yeah. and, and naturally, you know, you're a little weaker now up the middle. If you're drafting or signing cornerbacks and fast defensive ends to stop a a, a opposing team's passing game, of course you're going to hand the ball off, you know, hand it off to a big back, hand it off to Adrian Peterson, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Devontae Freeman, whoever, and boom, chunks of yards and I that think, way. As it pertains to Kelsey, you kind of saw it in that Chiefs-Steelers game more than anything where that Kansas City screen game just wasn't – it was right. not working. And, and Kelsey and the Eagle, the quote-unquote prototypical Andy Reid Eagle center is not necessarily what you need anymore, you know, no. because – you know, team, teams are bigger, faster, stronger in the back seven and can therefore shut down the screen game a lot easier, you know, cover running backs, cover tight ends a lot easier. Now maybe what you need is a guy who can, you know, shove it up the gut a little bit more. Yeah, it, that Kansas City offense is fascinating to me in a good way and a bad way. Like, it's almost like a it's a finesse offense, but it's not an explosive offense. Right. You know, I mean, when you think finesse offenses that work, you think of the greatest show on turf with the Rams, you think of... Uh, this in a way kind of and this is probably a stereotype that's not entirely true this Falcons team I mean they can they can throw the ball Ryan can get the ball to Jones you know to anybody he wants to but they can still run the ball fairly well um, if they want to Kansas City really doesn't have any of that Mm -mm. you know Alex Smith is a very accurate passer can't get the ball downfield and even when he did you know Sunday night against the Steelers his receivers dropped it um but that's just a weird offense, and mm-hmm. I think your point is well taken that they, they couldn't just decide, you know what, we're going to get three and a half yards 
every time we hand the ball off and we'll march down the field that way, they couldn't do it. Now, all of that said, offensive linemen are a valuable commodity and they don't necessarily arrive at free agency any better than Jason Kelsey is for you. So, you know, $3.8 million is what the Eagles would save just by cutting him outright. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's an argument that Isaac Samalu can give you what Jason Kill. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still think $3.8 million, and we saw this with Evan Mathis, even if he's not what he was when he signed the contract, that depth. Yeah. It's not Isaac Samalu versus Jason Kelsey. It's, you know, when Isaac Samalu gets hurt, who's replacing him right. versus Isaac right. Samalu. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I know so, what you're saying. So I suspect that the reality of the situation is more what you implied uh, or explicitly stated a few minutes ago, which is that Jason Kelsey is currently slotted to take up $6.2 million of cap space, um, which as we noted is about $2.5 million or $2.4 million more than that next tier Mm -hmm. of centers. And if the Eagles were planning on approaching Kelsey's agent to ask that he take a pay cut in, in the form of a new deal, it would certainly, I would think help their cause and their negotiating leverage mm-hmm. to have Kelsey be aware of the realistic possibility of right. him leaving Philadelphia. Now, it only works if he actually cares about leaving Philadelphia, but I suspect Jason Kelsey does. I, I mean, think he probably does, you know, just from the inter- few interactions I've had with him. Um, you know, he, he appears on WIP every Friday morning during the season. He's very involved in the in the community. I know um, it's funny. I'm, I'm, I, there, there's a story I had tried to work on about he and his girlfriend are heavily involved in the uh, care of a um, uh, a kid with special needs. Oh, I think I saw them on the sideline at one point. Yeah, and, um, you know, I may not be able to do it because they may decide they're going to cut him or whatever. Right. But, you know, he is, he is what you kind of want. He's like the Connor Barwin of yeah, their offense, absolutely. basically. So, yeah, I think that that probably does carry some weight with him if they say, look, Jason, take the pay cut or you're not going to be here anymore. So through the magic of, of NFL accounting, they could play around with the numbers and mm-hmm. and like for for instance, uh, you know Kelsey's slated to make five million dollars next year mm-hmm. in base salary. Okay, that will be his take home pay. Now, in addition to that five million dollars, he also counts another one point two million dollars against the cap because of the signing, signing bonus, bonus that he signed at the start of that contract. So right. he's not getting that one point two million dollars, but it counts against the cap. Right. Um, because it's prorated. So okay. the e- yes. So the Eagles could theoretically tear up the old contract, um, you know, and then re- and th- that would they would be starting with a two point four million dollar cap hit because mm-hmm. that the prorated from the old bonus would would get rolled into two thousand seventeen. Right. But they could then, you know, say, all right, well, you're getting, you know, take a eight hundred thousand dollar veteran minimum salary mm-hmm. and a three million dollar signing bonus which would give him 3.8 million dollars in take home pay versus five million dollars in take home pay but it would also lower his cap number from right. 6.2 million dollars to 4.2 million dollars mm-hmm. because of the way the proration works right. and if you think about it it doesn't sound like a lot but two million dollars is essentially the equivalent of uh you know nolan carroll being your cornerback versus jalen Watkins. right you know well, some people would say there isn't much of a distinction there. <laughs> but again, it comes down to depth, too. Yeah, like it's, you're right. You're put it right. this way. It's hard for me to think that the Eagles will sacrifice any controllable offensive line depth that they have, which is why I think 
they would be hoping to kind of scrimp a little bit on his salary. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and and that's but that's this is the position in which they put themselves, in, and this is something we've talked about ad nauseum, you know, on this podcast. It, it was it was funny. Um, I was on uh, Comcast Sportsnet last week with Dave Spadaro, and the previous time I had been on with Dave, it, the 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 appearance kind of devolved into this three way shouting match amongst me, Dave, and Ruben Frank. Oh, Ruben Frank loves the Dave Spadaro shouting Ruben, match. You know. Dave was very reasonable at first, and I was very reasonable, and then Ruben came on and kind of took this, <laughs> and I think he would acknowledge this, this kind of gratuitous shot at Dave, and all of a sudden, we get fireworks. But the point is, is that in this most recent appearance, I said something about, um, you know, that the decisions you make, personnel-wise, you know, have ramifications. You know, it's fine to say you want to address this need, that need, the other need, but that's hampered by the fact that you give Vinnie Curry five years and $47.25 million dollars. It's hampered by the fact that you give Michael Kendricks a four-year contract at whatever, I forget the value of it, and he doesn't play. What was interesting about that was that Dave, who kind of functions as the um, public voice of whatever, the public expression of what the franchise is thinking, right. on the one hand said, well, Vinnie Curry, I wouldn't give up on just yet. You know, I think he showed some signs, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I would, just, I would take issue with that, but that's fine. Leave it, leave it there. But he was very overt about Michael Kendricks. Yeah, I don't know what the problem with him is. So the point being that the Eagles put themselves in this position now where they're going to go to a guy like Kelsey and say, can you take a pay cut? They may or may not go to a guy like Connor Barwin mm-hmm. and say, can you take a pay cut? You know, my question would be, how much change do you think they can really affect by simply doing this up and down their roster before they have to start making some serious choices about, okay, do we bring X player back mm-hmm. at all? Well, I mean, I think Connor Barwin's gone. Okay. Uh, to me, you can't. I don't think he's. I think he's an ill fit. I agree. With I just you. think it's it's an economically untenable position to mm-hmm. pay three defensive ends, top ten defensive end money. Right. Like you just can't do it. Um, and while I still think Connor Barwin brings more than Vinnie Curry does yeah. to your defense, yeah. y- you don't have the luxury of making that decision. Right. Um, you know, I think Connor Bar like. I, to me, Connor Barwin makes perfect sense for the Patriots. Uh, like, I think he's like their next white gritty linebacker. You know, mm-hmm. like they they have Michael oh, Mike yeah. Vrabel. Like, like Belichick loves that guy. Yeah, Shane he, McClellan. And, and and Barwin is smart. Like, like, I mean, the white thing doesn't have anything to do with no, it. No, but they but, just it's just that Rudy type of uh, like oh yeah, Rudy and type he, of player. And he's smart. He would get it. Like, he would totally you know buy into the whole Patriots way. Blah blah blah. All that stuff. Yeah. Wanking motion. Wanking yeah, motion. I know. Wanking motion. I know. Um. So yeah, so I th- I think uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason because I think they're going to be doing this up and down the roster a lot. Like, they I have think to. Jason Peters. They and, have to do it yeah. up and down the roster. They don't have a choice. You know, this is not the Sixers. They're not the equivalent of the Sixers. You know, in the NBA salary cap world, they're the equivalent of the Knicks. Right. Like they've got, yeah. you know, they've got to trim a lot in order to have any flexibility. Otherwise, you're counting on Vinnie Curry and Lane Johnson and Zach Ertz and particularly Carson Wentz to be. Everything that you could possibly hope they would be. Speaking of Kelsey's. Ooh, Travis had a rough day. Mm. Rough night Sunday night. Rough night. There's two things about him. Number one, like it's just it's amazing, but also indicative of the NFL structure that he is getting paid the same amount as Zach Hurts. Because yes. for he's all much better. For as <laughs> as bad as as as, as bad as his night was, he's as, a pretty good player. He's cl- 
I, I would be fascinated. I was thinking about this throughout the game. Like, I would be fascinated to know what his and Jason's relationship was like growing up because, like, Travis certainly exudes the uh, knucklehead, meathead oh, yeah. younger brother, whereas, yeah. Kel- like, I could never see Jason Kelsey uh, no, getting No, Jason's a- <laughs> cerebral and smart. I mean, he's, yeah, and that is that does not, that ain't Travis. The problem is Travis is also about as big as Jason Kelsey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, that was the thing to me, just looking at his body. He's an amazing athlete, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. Hey, I, I'm not, I don't want to go out of my way to rip Zach Ertz, but like, there's just no comparison when you look at their body types and like what they can do on the field. And we talked about this last year. Remember when we talked about uh, shooting Doug Peterson up with sodium pentothal about Alex Smith? Yeah. Like you give Travis Kelsey Carson Wentz, and I think that game turns out a whole heck of a lot differently just because of the arm strength factor. And I think yeah. that's such. A, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers, and and look, no no one's suggesting that. Carson Wentz will ever develop to become even close to what Aaron Rodgers is, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen play. Um, I'm right there with you, and I will argue to. The, I, and frankly, I don't know that I, it's that that close. You know, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers does everything, all the other, all the best attributes of all the other quarterbacks. I think Aaron Rodgers does them all better than than those quarterbacks. The the amazing, I love watching him play. Like I wish Meryl Streep you know, have been watching him play like the, the whole rant about like all, you know, if we get rid of all the arts, all we'll have are football and mixed martial arts. Okay, lady, watch Aaron Rodgers right. play quarterback and tell me that's not art. Um, it's awesome. It, 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 the thing that fascinates me is the way he, the pace he puts on every throw, mm. you know, he can, he can throw it hundred miles an hour if he needs to, he can throw it, you know, a, a little soft, deft screen pass, you know, throw a, a wheel route, and he can throw it in between that, you know. It's, it, it's really it's it's so much fun to watch. But you're right about the way that a quarterback like that. I think I know where you're going with this. The way a quarterback like that can diversify your offense and allow you to do to do things that other offenses can't do. There's only so much. I like Alex Smith more than the average guy mm-hmm. does because a he doesn't turn the ball over, b he's really accurate, c he's really smart, and d he's fairly mobile. Um, and those are all really good attributes in a quarterback. Um, but you can you could also see him on some of those throws Sunday night winding up to get the ball down the field. You mentioned in your column today the one deep throw to Jeremy Macklin, mm-hmm. which was the worst throw he made all night. And, it, and Macklin was open. That's a game-breaking touchdown if he puts it on the inside. And he's clearly just thrown it as far as he possibly can, and the ball floats to the outside out of bounds. And I even and I mentioned this today too. I think in in, in the column uh, that that I, I I'd have to go back and, and watch frame by frame that last two point conversion attempt. But I, I I think Carson Wentz makes that throw. Like I think he gets it through. I mean, it's probably more likely he's got he a does, better yeah. chance of getting it through traffic. And I think you saw that throughout this year, like Wentz Wentz just makes throws that other quarterbacks can't make because. The window, his, his arm strength lengthens the window. Right. Like it, I, I use the comparison today in my column of a pitcher's time out of the stretch mm-hmm. uh, to home it, with regards to stopping base stealers. You know, like some guys are real slow and some guys aren't. And and really, it, it's very much like a quarterback's release. You know, it, it's your time is however long it takes you to get the same velocity on the ball, right. uh, you know, without sacrificing location or anything. And the guys who are really quick can just get amazing, vo- you know, mm-hmm. fast, easy velocity. Um like Rodgers on the front end optimizes his window for completing a pass by being able to hold onto the ball until the last second. If you look at the one where he was rolling left to Jared Cook and there was mm-hmm. one where he was rolling right to Jared Cook, 
he, he releases the ball as the as a defender is is shoving him in the chest to the ground. Yep. So he waits literally until the last possible minute that he could throw the ball. Yeah. Carson Wentz would have had to throw it earlier than that mm-hmm. because of that windup of his. And Alex Smith would not have been able to make that throw, make at throw at all. Because you no. just can't you have to be able to get enough mustard on the throw to A, keep it from sailing towards the sideline, and B, to give your guy, you know, a shot at catching the ball without the defender. Right. And and what's one of the interesting and parts, not the defender. One of say. the interesting parts about that is and I'm not somebody who geeks out over the combine or um you know, the measurable, so to speak, of a particular quarterback or any particular position. But one of the things I do buy into is hand size for mm-hmm. a quarterback. And the play before the the 36-yard completion of Cook, Rodgers takes that hit. Oh, that was amazing. And somehow doesn't fumble the ball. That might have been his most amazing play of the game. Right. And, and that, you know, that's a drawback with Alex Smith, for instance, you know, I remember when he came out of the draft, there was concerns about his hands are relatively small. Yeah, absolutely. And that inhibits your ability to throw a football. It just does. You mm-hmm. have you better be really special to overcome that. Um, and if you can't, you know, you're going to be limited in what you can do. And I think Alex Smith is getting – I don't mean uh, – you know, I don't want to rip Alex Smith and I don't want to call him the greatest quarterback in the history of quarterbacks. I think he's getting every bit of who he can possibly be as an NFL quarterback out of his ability. Yes. Um, and is that the kind of guy you can win with? Probably. I see. I think you could. Oh yeah, I think you can win. It's just a matter of what do you need around that. Guy. Right. Like, like for instance, like Flacco. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I never thought Flacco would win a Super Bowl because mm-hmm. I just don't think he's a great quarterback. But what I realize is that you don't have to be a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You just have to have the right quarterback at the right time in the right year, mm-hmm. aka when Colin Kaepernick gets his team right. in the Super Bowl. Right. And and have a good enough team around him where I mean, like look at Matt Ryan and compare him to Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson, we saw against the Falcons, has benefited so much from having a defense that only asks him to score two or three times a game. Whereas in a game against Matt Ryan, when they're scoring forty points, Russell Wilson looks like crap because mm-hmm. it's not good enough. Does that make sense? Like, like it does. Like, I mean, put, I would argue. Ru- like, put I mean, way, if you put Alex Smith, if you put Alex Smith on those Seahawks with those Seahawks defenses, I think you might be able to win. I'm not comparing Russell Wilson to Alex Smith, but I'm saying, you know, you can win with that quarterback. It's just a matter of. What what does that level of talent need to mm-hmm. be around the quarterback? Oh, order? they won a Super Bowl. Like they went from Super Bowl champion to Super Bowl runner up to divisional round to divisional round. As Russell Wilson has improved as a quarterback, there's right. no doubt about that. And the reason that they the Seahawks have that relative downward trajectory is because their defense has been right. getting a little bit and worse and their offensive year. line. Yeah, yeah, they don't spend any money on the line. We know that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, this is the question that the Eagles thought they have answered they basically said we're going to go all in and get the guy who we you know get who we think is the guy and the town is in love with him and the town thinks this is great at least we have our franchise quarterback and people forget that it's not that's not it like the work doesn't stop there go ask Andrew Luck go ask Matt Ryan the work that you know you have to put something around him and I would even argue I think that Aaron Rodgers might be the biggest example of yeah this guy People still don't understand how good this guy is because he's only been to two Super Bowls. One. Well, he's only won one Super Bowl. He's Did only he, ever been to. He's one. only ever been to one. Su- this is this is a freak of nature, who is physically. I mean, there was even a story today. You know, Tom Brady talked about how much he loves to. Yeah. Like, I think Tom Brady would acknowledge that Aaron Rodgers is better than him. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And yet, 
the best player to ever play the most important position of the game, and this team has only ever sniffed one Super Bowl. You know, like that that more than anything. Well, the, the two, they they should have beaten Seattle in the championship that's game. Right. You know, that's right. and they, they blew it at the end. Okay, so they sniffed two Super Bowls. But mm-hmm. but the guy's been starting since or he got drafted in two thousand five. He's been starting since two thousand eight. Yeah. You know, like it's not that easy. Right. And he's still I still think he's entering that portion of his career where like you could just see kind of even in this post game interview, like he's very comfortable with himself. Like mm-hmm. he, he like I think he's finally aware of how good he is, and he's kind of playing with that swagger. Like he keeps getting better, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Um, like I'm a firm believer in the, in the notion that it takes five years for a quarterback to even begin reaching his potential. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think you saw it Sam Bradford, Russell Wilson, yada yeah. yada yada. Uh, and then Luck's the other guy. Where yeah. I mean, that's that is the worst case scenario for the Eagles moving right. forward. You know, you think you have it, you think you have the guy, and you do have the guy, but then you put, you know between the rest of your offense and your defense, you put 21 schlubs named Joe around him. And, you know, there's talk of your GM getting fired and your coach getting fired and what's the owner going to do now? And um, you get one AFC championship game against the Patriots and get blown out, and, and then where are you? Um, what's interesting about Rodgers to me, it's, I don't know if you remember this or were there that day, but I, I actually want to write about it today, is that he was on the conference call uh, with Philly reporters before the Eagles played the Packers this year. And he talked at length about how much being a multi-sport athlete helped him when he was a kid and helps him now. Mm -hmm. That the throws he can make, that everybody goes, wow, no other quarterback in the NFL can make those throws. He said part of the reason he can make them is that he grew up, A, uh, playing second base, you know, in in Little League ball and Mm -hmm. in high school where you got to underhand the ball, turn in a double play or throw it sidearm or throw from different body angles to try to get the guy out of first. And then secondly, which you mentioned in your column today, his footwork is so good because he played basketball and soccer. I could watch him play an entire game just from the waist down. Yeah. And not that note. That's the last I want to hear about you marveling (laughs) over Aaron Rodgers in the waist down. Me and Olivia Munn both, Yeah, exactly. Um, But but that stuff matters. Like, you see so many quarterbacks nowadays who have done nothing but be quarterbacks. And while that's great, you have to be trained to do that, there is something to be said, you know, for a guy who – uses his body in different athletic maneuvers, you know, and it becomes second nature to him. So that when he's rolling left, he can throw right because that's a move you make on the baseball diamond as an infielder. Or you don't get your feet tangled all over each other because you're accustomed to setting your feet for taking a jump shot in basketball or going up off the wrong foot to make a layup. Um, that stuff matters. It's, and that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. That's one of my oh, yeah. like soapbox issues is like the specialization of sports among kids nowadays and that sort of thing. Well, so. speaking of speaking of guys who know how to maneuver their body, let's uh, check in with Matt Breen uh, about Michael Saunders. How you doing, Matt? Good. How you guys doing? We're awesome, as usual. We were just talking about Jason Kelsey, but we're going to ask you about Michael Saunders. I had written last week, kind of mentioning his name as a possibility, but I, I did not think that – I mean, this is a guy who OPSed 815 last year and hit 24 home runs. How How is he available for the Phillies, and, and how – did a contender not manage to uh, give him a better offer? Yeah, I was kind of surprised how affordable it was. I was thinking about this morning, how affordable the Phillies were able to get him. And I guess, you know, it has to do with who they both used to going back to Toronto and the you know, domino effect from that. And the Phillies were, that was the whole approach to the offseason. was gonna, They're going to wait. There was a handful of Michael Saunders-type guys available. And then whoever around this time and, you know, a few weeks before spring training was available, they were just going to get a guy for, you know, the, the affordable price that they got Saunders for. So it, it paid off to be patient and just wait it out. 
what what is his what what is their um I guess purpose for lack of a better way of putting it here Matt it, do they think there's any chance Saunders can be part of a long-term you know solution at one of the outfield spots is this a guy who if he plays well they're going to flip him in a trade what, what what does this do for them well it's two things for now he's a 30 year old outfielder you know proven major league veteran to put in the middle of the lineup which last year they didn't have Pete McCann said you know, numerous times at the end of the season, he would like one or two veteran hitters. He got two of them, Howie Kendrick and Michael Saunders. And Kendrick's a little bit older. He's 33 or 34, so he's probably not part of the future. But Saunders is only 30. He, you know, he'll be 31 after the season. And if, you know, as for now, he's just a guy in the lineup for 2017. But if it works out and, he, you know, he does have some pop, he's a guy they can bring back at least for 2018 for cheap. And then if you want to, uh, you know, go down that road, you could look into tying him up a little bit more long-term than that. Uh, so I think it's a good where they got the veteran for cheap, but he's not just a one-year guy, you know, automatically. He's just, he's just a veteran. He, he's a guy that could, if it works out, he could be part of the future. Probably not, but, but uh, I, I wouldn't bet that he is, but he at least has the opportunity to be a, a part of it. And there's also the opportunity that come July – you know, I'm sure people hate to hear this. They sign a guy and you're already talking about trading them, but that's the reality of it. And this is one of the positions where they have a lot of depth in the minor leagues. Come July, Michael Saunders could be on the trading block and, you know, maybe get you a couple of prospects. Is that dependent solely on Nick Williams and other guys like that? Yeah, Nick Williams, Dylan Cousins, Roman Quinn, Aaron Altair, and then, you know, go further deeper, not, not to get too excited over, you know, Mickey Moniak or Cornelius Randolph, but I mean, those guys are coming eventually, so you got to think about it at least. And uh, I think in the immediacy, it's Nick Williams, Cousins, and Roman Quinn, and Altair. And if one, of, I don't think you're going to, you know, if one of those guys have really proven that they, they need to be in the outfield at Citizens Bank Park, you're not going to block them with Michael Saunders. And if you can trade Michael Saunders for, you know, two young pitchers or something like that, I think for sure. And especially if the team is not contending, which no one expects them to do, then you know they'll be sellers at the deadline again, and that's a perfect guy that you can flip. So, so what what do you know about about Saunders um, last year? He's one of these guys who has been a name in prospect circles going back, you know, a decade almost. I think he was drafted in '04, but he, I mean, he was a top hundred, you know, Baseball America prospect. One of these guys everyone was kind of waiting for uh, to put it all together and stay healthy, but up until 2016 that had not happened in his first six years let's see he hit just 230 with a 301 on base percentage and a 381 slugging percentage 682 ops uh with 51 home runs in 2000 plate appearances so, i mean it's a fairly large sample he he had really struggled with injuries really only had two seasons prior to last year um where he was able to even make it through half the season um and he was always kind of a league average bat when he was healthy. But last year, I mean, he, he really feasted on American League pitching, at least for the first half of the season. What what do you know that suggests uh, we could be in store for another 2016 and not another 2009 through 2015? Or, or do you think that's kind of why he was available? Yeah, that's probably why he was available because it's not even just a, a 2016. It's it's the first half of 2016 
and that's about it. That's really what you're hoping you get from Michael Saunders because, you know, it was his batting average after the All Star break was, you know, I'm sure you looked it up. It was like 180 something. You know, you know why really that? Future. Did you read it all? Why that and, uh, was? Well, he did. A, he missed the season before with a freak knee injury from spring training. So, I would guess that he wasn't fully recovered from that. He rushed back from that. In you know, the timetable was a few months. He came back in a few in a few weeks from that the year before. Then you know, it's not healed. He misses the rest of the season in 2015. Then he plays 2016, gets off to a really hot start. And my guess is that you know he ran out of gas or you know faded in the second half. And now I wrote today that this guy come opening day will be 25 months removed from that knee surgery. So you would hope that, you know, he's fully healthy. He's playing on natural grass, not at this, not at this sky dome and the artificial turf. And maybe that, that, that could help. And I just think you, this is why he was available for $9 million. I guess that's a better part of your uh, question from before is because he, he's not that proven, but last season, you know, he's good enough to make the all-star game in the first half. And if you get that guy, not the the guy after the All-Star game, they hit 180 with, you know, eight homers. Well, it's not even – I mean, we can even extend it out a little bit beyond the All-Star game. And kind of the pertinent barrier for the Phillies is the trade deadline. And what I'm looking at here, at the trade deadline last year, or at least on July 25th, he was hitting 287 with a 366 on base percentage and a 553 slugging percentage. With that's 20, good. That's real good. With, that's a 919 OPS and 22 home runs right at the time when the, with the Phillies, if he did that this year around, would be looking probably to to you know at least dangle him and see what he can he can net on the open market. After that, 182, 278, 321, 599 OPS um, with five home runs. Those are Freddie Galvis numbers. Um, but one could argue that the only part of that equation that matters for the Phillies is the first three months because that's what the, or the first four months because that's what they'll be looking to, to capitalize on um, if he does indeed play like he did last year. Yeah, um, I don't know what you want me to say. Of course, that's what, what I want you to agree with me. Until, I want you to acknowledge the greatness of Murph. Just tell me how right I am. Yeah, I, that's all I, that's I'm looking for. I said, I said the All Star game used to the trade deadline. The trade deadline was like a week later. Tomato, tomato, Breen. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You're, you're awfully sni- you're awfully snippy to that. You want you, you want to fight? Michael Saunders will be happy. All right. Listen, and, Matt, but you, you have to understand. Him. You're not. You it, can't trade the second half of Michael Saunders. Listen, you you, so. you can't just answer these questions, Matt. You have to answer them in the way that Murph <laughs> would answer them. Okay. That's how this podcast works. Yes, Matt. You're gonna you're gonna end up on the blacklist with uh. You and Kern. Who's on our blacklist, Kern? <laughs> uh, let's see. Breen Saunders talk. Kern's <laughs> Kern Taco talk. Uh, Tannenwald put himself on the blacklist. Tannenwald's. Be- <laughs> <laughs> Self-imposed exile. <laughs> let's, let's pour one out for Jonathan Tannenwald. Yeah. We are gonna we are we are pouring one out right now. We right we actually me and Mike have our <laughs> our forties of Mickey's right now sitting next to us on the stoop. What uh, <laughs> the Phillies are having a media availability. By the time most people listen to this podcast, it will probably have uh come and gone, come and gone. But Aaron Nola will be speaking, and I, I'm I had him circled on my Phillies Winter Carnival schedule and they, they have now saved me a trip from reading tomorrow you're gonna ride the merry-go-round with him or what no i want to know what his elbow feels like oh, okay has has he spoken since when's the last time aaron nola spoke about his elbow he hasn't sometime late last season uh it was the last time he talked and i guess that you're right that's the definitely the most intriguing thing of this week is to find out how he feels what he's been able to do uh his agent spoke for him in 
late in the fall or early winter saying that he's 100 percent he's ready for spring training and that's really the only update we've gotten on him so can you remind that's what i'm looking forward to i'm gonna head out there tonight and i guess we'll find out uh is he on the docket tonight yeah he's in reading tonight no i thought that was lakewood tonight no lakewood tomorrow uh i misread your text to me buddy Oh, then you. I'm pretty sure you lied to me. Uh, You sent. I did. I wanted to actually send you to Lakewood to an empty banquet room. Breen, go back to our text message. I'm looking at it right now. Our text message conversation, week of one nine. In in all honesty, if if the text message is wrong, I don't stand by it because it was it was from Gelb and I forwarded it. I copied it from Gelb. Throwing Gelb under the bus. Nice, nice. So two. So Gelb doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. So I can just under the bus. Just to be clear. Tuesday, you wrote to me Tuesday one seventeen at Lakewood colon Matt McCannon Franco Wednesday Wednesday one eighteen at Reading colon McCannon Franco Nola Quinn are you sure Nola is at Reading tonight? Uh yeah I'm, well, I'm trying to find an email right now but I'm yeah it's definitely tonight. You I'll tell you what Breen you're when a sand, I come, I'll pick you up. you're a sandbagging sob uh, do you have easy hey, pass he's he's got a wedding to prep for okay he's got bigger things. <laughs> On his mind. Can we stop at the service area and can get some more Rogers? Uh, can we do a live podcast at the wedding? If if you would rather, I I, I was under the operating under the idea that Murph was going to be the DJ at the reception. Yes, that sounds good. Uh, when is this wedding, by the way? I need to put it in my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> it's in October. Okay. It's, it's, check your mailbox All every right. day. Okay. All right. Thanks. I'll I'll I'll, I'll wait with bated breath. Um. I hope I get a mag. Do I get to save the date magnet with it? I need a new magnet. I'm getting my photos taken. Um, I'm getting my. We're getting our photos taken. <laughs> I don't know. You're the only one getting married Next at this Sunday? thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just my. It's like a birthday party. So we those were, are. The, uh, it well, was supposed to be Super Bowl Sunday, but I got out of that. Yeah, you can't do that noise. Sunday before. The. Uh, so 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 photos like what what goes into a photo shoot is this going to be like a really corny thing where you're like walking in a pasture yeah. like petting sheep together or like no what? I think it's, it's it's something downtown I don't know I mean see, so it, we see some of these some of these are pretty corny but I think I trust Harris taste I think I think it'll turn out pretty well now now Murph if you don't get invited are you coming anyway there is a list and I will say this is breaking news both of the hosts of not another Philly sports show period, or whatever you guys call yourself, are on the list. That's great yes! news. Yes! Oh, I can't wait. I literally... He's going ske- to he's gonna, so, schedule it for like a well, Sunday Eagles game. Yeah, right. yeah. It's not I, official. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a babysitter set up tonight for the kids so that my wife and I can come enjoy this. <laughs> so what, do you, what, do you, what, what outfit are you wearing on Sunday? Because I know this is a big concern of yours, at least with, with regards to your girlfriend. Um, I think I'm wearing uh, these pants I got for Christmas. And a nice blue sweater. I actually wore it to the Flyers game the other night. And I These might wear pants I got it's for like Christmas. I can wear it freaking everywhere. Could you give I'll me wear a... it tonight because no one, no one who saw me tonight saw me at the Flyers game last week. Now you got to give me a little. You got to give me a little more description of these pants because the last time I got pants for Christmas, they were like Eagle Zubaz pants in 1993. <laughs> <And> I... <laughs> They're these like nice gray dress pants. My mom actually bought them for me. I was, I was happy. Are they slim fit or are they like, like what are you? Are you more of a you got relaxed... junk in your trunk or what? Are you like Brett Favre getting, or are you like uh, Steve I'm Nash? I'm getting shape for this wedding. I'm I'm doing good. You're gonna not recognize me at spring training. You're getting in shape, huh? Yeah. What are you down? Like, what, you're gonna get married once if you're lucky. But you were never. You're not a big guy. Yeah. You're tall, kind of doofy. Yeah, no. I just, I was just, and I need to shed a 
few pounds. What do you? Don't are you gonna, Are you going to be like ripped, ripped? Like I want to. I want to see nah, Mike Green. Just, like, I just run. I don't. Work, I don't. Really you're not taking creatine or anything like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm on HGH. Well, I hear it works. Works wonders. Um, wh- who are you, Who else are you looking for out of spring training that uh, might be on the invite list? In fact, I think they are on the invite list because they just released them. Uh, the wedding invite? No, list? No, 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 no. Just the spring training. <laughs> no, the spring training. In- We're going to the more important <laughs> invitations now. Uh, the non-roster ones. Yeah. Is Brock Stasi um, going to be one of your groomsmen or what? Yeah. Well, Brock, I mean, that's a guy that was – last year was – he. it was nice that he was in camp, but it, there was no chance that Brock Stasi was going to make the majors out of camp. Now it's, it's you know, he's there to win a job. Same with uh, Andrew Knapp is there to win the backup job. I think he's definitely going to win the backup job. Um, and then you have – like Dylan Cousins and Reese Hoskins, that it, you know, it's nice to be in camp and see what they can do against the majors. But most likely, no matter what, they're going to the Lehigh Valley to start the season. So it's going to JP Crawford will be there, Nick Williams. That's what I I like watching these young guys and try to gauge how far away they are. And it's tough to gauge because it's in spring training and you know most of the stuff's usually positive that comes out. But you know maybe you can figure out who's going to start the season here and who actually has a legitimate shot to get to the majors. Not only on opening day, but you know, May fifteenth around that time. Yeah, it's a it's a little harder with hitters, but like I remember Philippe Amont, we were all intrigued to watch when he first was mm-hmm. acquired, and and he was a non roster invitee, and uh, you know you could tell right away that he was not very good. So, like you said, that you know it does there is there is some level of instructiveness um, to spring training because I mean this is the first time we're seeing these guys. All, all they are is numbers to us, um, and Nap. It has been a guy that's kind of been on the radar for the last few years. My question about him is what sense would it make to have him playing a backup catcher role behind Cameron Rupp when he could be in Lehigh Valley getting, getting ABs or, or would this be more of like a platoon? Um, you know, yeah, I think it's going to be more of a, you know, I don't, I, if he, if he is the backup catcher, I don't think it's going to be like he just catches on Sundays, you okay. know, once a week kind of guy. I think he'll he'll catch a little bit more, and he could always bounce out of first at to a first base and give Tommy Joseph a night off. Right? Is he stronger from the left so side? I, or he's a switch hitter. Is he stronger from the yeah, left side or the right yeah, side? Yeah, switch hitter, but I'm almost positive he's a natural lefty. And where where does that leave Alfaro then? He's going to be in Lehigh Valley starting. The starting catcher in Lehigh Valley is the whole play, you know, almost every day. And then this, the veteran catchers they get for spring training will bounce down there and be the backup to him. Okay. Nap actually last year was. At least his numbers at AAA were better from the right side, two seventy seven, three forty. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't looked in previous years. He was seven seventy two OPS for six eighty four OPS last year. Um, well, he throws right handed, so I'm gonna. I bet he's a natural righty then. That would make sense. Uh, Obviously, he and then in, in two thousand fifteen, in two thousand fifteen, he hit, hit well from both sides. Nine oh three as a lefty, and then uh, eight twenty as a righty. So who knows? Maybe he's just good. Uh, He's good all the way around. What what what, what does the yeah. organization think of him? Uh, what do they view? You know, where do they see him five years from now? That's what I think. This season's going to determine a lot of that because you know you're going to have to make a choice, him or Jorge Alfaro, who's the catcher of the future. And you know, this year he's going to get a taste of the majors. Alfaro will be in Lehigh Valley, and I think you can determine then you know where he is five years from now. But like personality-wise, they love this guy. He's you know, if you talk to him, he's a great guy, great teammate, and all that jazz. And 
I think the one thing he needs to fine tune on, which is a lot of young catchers, is the game calling aspect. And, you know, he really worked on that last year and the year before in double A. And, uh, you know, just, just working with pitchers, which is, you know, what Cameron Rupp really has to work on, too. So all three of these guys really are going to, you know, have to get better that way for someone to, you know, pull themselves into the bona fide starter going forward. Andrew Knapp, just as a refresher, twenty tw- will be twenty five years this twenty five years old this season. Second round pick out of Cal Berkeley in two thousand thirteen. Oh, he's probably a hippie tree hugger then. Jeez. Yeah, just like Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was the number ninety six prospect according to Baseball America before last season. Has, has Baseball America come out with their new top one hundred yet? No, they came out with the Phillies top every team's top ten. The Phillies top ten came out um, right before Christmas, and then the top one hundred usually comes out, I think, right before spring training. That's right, because yeah. we're always in spring training when that pops. Um, would yeah. Nap? I mean, what Nap kind of had some some mediocre numbers yeah, last think year. He's what, the top one hundred anymore? But what was the book on him last uh, year? Um, is it just a matter of him adapting to better pitching? Yeah, I think that's you know that always that step up can be tough, and plus. You know, going along with your catching every day. That makes and sense. And the year before, how good of a season he had the year before. So, it's, I mean, it's tough to match what he did in Double A and and Clearwater in 2015. Mike, when are you, when are you going to spring training? I'm heading down. Uh, what is it? The last Sunday in February, which would be the let me see here, the 25th. Sixth, okay, um, and staying for the better part of a week. I think I am leaving the twenty third or the twenty fourth. Okay, um, what are you looking forward to? What are you coming, Dave? I'm coming down. I think I booked my flight for February, whatever that weekend is, February eleventh. Um, I'm gonna, sp- oh, okay. I'm gonna spend a weekend in Tampa with some old friends, um, and then Sunday is when they 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 get to the field, right? February twelfth, is that right? No, Monday. Okay. Monday's um, the report date. When are you I'm flying down the twelfth? When are you? Uh, and you're staying in Dunedin this year, correct? No, Galvis. I'm in I'm in Clearwater Beach. Nice. What kind of pad did you get? Uh, just the same thing as last night, last year. Normal, on the bay. So you're you're not going to be down there the entire time I'm there. So I can't take you and Tara out to dinner again. I think again? I might be. I think I might be. So okay. We, we might. I so might we got to keep that tradition day. going. Yeah, if Tara's coming down, I don't know. What when, tradition is this? I gotta look at the calendar, to it, figure out if. But you know, you're gonna miss her actually. So uh, me and you will go to lunch by ourselves. Okay. The, each of the last. That sounds about right. Yeah. Each of the last three years, two years. Two uh, years. Yeah. Two years. The uh, the future Mr. and Mrs. Mac Breen and I have gone out to dinner, and it's very nice because I can talk to somebody else other than Matt during the course of the dinner. Um, his fiance <laughs> is a heck of a lot smarter than he is. Um, Every time I go out to to. A meal with Matt Breen. He spends the entire time glad handing with Phillies players and really? prospects who happen to be me. walking through doesn't the restaurant. Doesn't surprise me. He's a uh, what the heck are you talking about? The, the, the last time we went on a date together, you spent the entire time t- talking to Zach Eflin. I was quite hurt. I, I said hi to him. <laughs> I don't know. Next to us. Looked like a little. Him and his girlfriend were sitting next to us at Lenny's, and I said, "Hi, hi, Zach. How you doing?" Mm, I see where I stand. Yeah. What are you looking for, Mike, out of spring training, and what what can Matt Breen do to inform your preconceived notions? <laughs> uh, I want to see J.P. Crawford. I, re- I mean, I know that's obvious, but I didn't see, I didn't get a chance to see a whole lot of him last year 
uh, all I saw were the numbers that suggested like, oh, okay, maybe he's flatlining or even regressing as a as a hitter. Like he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that would be a concern. Um, so I want to see that. Um, uh, you know, I want to see how good this kid is up close. I want to see where Roman Quinn's at. Um, because what I saw of him last spring, I liked a lot, and obviously, I liked what I saw at the end of the season when the Phillies brought him up. But uh, can the kid stay healthy? Um, you know, I think he's got a lot of promise, but you know, he can't stay in the field. Do you think he makes the roster, Matt? J.P. Crawford or Roman Quinn? No, R- Roman, Roman Quinn. Qu- Roman Quinn. No, I think he's going to compete for a bench job. That was like the you know, the, the effect from Saunders yesterday. Mm-hmm. But I bet he starts in Lehigh Valley and, uh, you know, forces his way up here. He's never played in AAA, so it's not a bad thing. If, I know everybody wants to see the young guys, and, you know, I do too. I, I think, you know, it's definitely a lot more exciting to watch. But if you're going to develop these young guys, it doesn't hurt to go to AAA and, you know, have some pass there. He came straight from AA. And then just the one thing I'm looking forward to is, uh, besides what Mike said, is the starting pitchers. You know, you have Clay Buckles. And uh, Jeremy Helks in the top, but, you know, how's Aaron Nola? Is he healthy? How's Vince Velasquez? He got shut down early last year. Jared Eikhoff pitched the entire season's first pro year, so how's he looking now? And then what do you do with Zach Eflin, Jake Thompson, and, you know, the rest of those young guys? Is anybody going to be moved to the bullpen during spring training? I think that's a possibility. Maybe we'll find out later. But, you know, that could be one of the good things is starting pitching, if, if it all works out, it could be pretty solid for the Phillies. Yeah, I was, I was sitting down kind of putting together a projected roster before the uh the Sonder signing and and the the pitching situation is intriguing because somebody's going to be left out there at the end yeah I mean who do you who do you think that guy is I had Jake Thompson starting the season in AAA but what do you make of that kind of log jam at the back end of that rotation um or do you think yeah so my I'm sorry my five guys would be um Jeremy Ellison Buckholz Nola uh, Vince Velasquez and Jared Lykoff. So, you know, you'd have to decide is Thompson and F1 going to AAA or is one of them going to the bullpen as a long man? I don't know, you know, whose stuff is better to be put in the bullpen, but I think that's, you know, I don't think you're going to keep all these guys as starters Do you, you know, for the rest of the year. Does it make, is there any sense or any possibility? Six man rotation. No, oh, well, there's that. But also, uh, I mean, is there any sense of moving Vince Velasquez to the bullpen at this point? Even if you, you know, don't you want to still at least see if he can be a starter, even if you suspect he might wind up in, in your bullpen at some point? Or, or is there an Yeah, argument? I think he's he's still a starter. And I know that was like the thing, and maybe he was the closer of the future. But you can get you get a lot more worth out of a guy, you know, throwing seven innings every five days and pitching out of the bullpen, especially at especially know, on a team like this. That, yeah, and he especially he could team. be. If, if that's what he can be, I think you need to – you know, try to work on that and see if he can stretch himself out and throw more than five innings a night. And that's really the only problem I see with that guy. And, throws too many pitches. Yeah, and a, and a team like this where, you know, you're not going to need a closer very often, presumably. And, um, you know, why why make that move now? Let's see what we what he can do, you know, in the rotation. So then, so here's another exactly here, a great here, point. Here's another question. It certainly appears to me, and I could be missing something, that there's there's a tremendous logjam in the outfield at the upper levels of the minors. If, indeed, Roman Quinn starts there, you have Nick Williams, you have uh, Dylan Cousins, you have Cameron Perkins, you have um, Andrew Poulin. Uh, where, do you see, where do you see the guys who don't – how do you see 
Lehigh Valley's outfield shaping up? Uh, and what are they going to do to get all these guys who are kind of now working their way through the system? How are they going to find positions for all of them? Yeah, so you'll have Nick Williams in Lehigh Valley. Um, Roman Quinn, just for argument's sake, in Lehigh Valley. And Andrew Pullen, uh, D- Dylan Cousins in Lehigh Valley. Andrew Pullen, uh, D.H. and Tyler uh, Goodell has to find a spot. There, you're right, there is a yeah, lot of was the other guy in the outfield. And um, I, I don't, I, I just, I guess that's a, a good thing to have because uh, you know you've been you know you covered baseball way longer than I have. You know these guys usually don't pan out most of these prospects, right. and uh, you're not going to have every one of these top ten prospect outfielders not going to be major league players. And you know the more of these you know lottery tickets I like to see you have, that's the more the better. I mean, I could even see Tyler Goodell might belong in Double A. You know, I mean, he was he still has a yeah, lot. Yeah, of... he 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 jumped straight from Double A to the major, so. Uh, could definitely see that he's got to put some muscle on his upper body yeah man. that yeah. dude is looks like he gets the bat blown out of his hands every time he, he looks yeah he's like todd pinkston uh anything else we missed matthew no i think we got it all any hot topics my uh let's just run down the bullpen real quick benoit is he i mean he's like 80 years old but if he's healthy i would assume he's going to be the guy hector, yeah, he's, he's on the team hector nair is definitely a dubre ramos definitely i like jolie rodriguez uh Pat Nishak, you would think. And then who's... Yeah, I would put him in back in there, and Gomez, I mean, you just paid him, so he's in there. Now, what about... So then that leaves, like, a uh, kind of a, a middle... Assuming all these guys stay healthy, which might not be... A, a good, great assumption. A great bet to make. Um, but Severino Gonzalez is one... I mean, obviously, he doesn't really mean much, but there is that... Yeah, posi- I think he's just a guy. But there is that position. Is there any chance an Eflin fills that kind of long relief position? You know, even if it's yeah, not... But, uh, yeah, go ahead. And, and like I'm just look, I just bring up the roster now, and you know you forget about these names. Alec Asher pitched really right. well. I know I know he got the steroid suspension during the year, but when he came back, he was real, he pitched really well. He pitched the contact a lot, but still the end result was good. Yep. And um, you could put him in the bullpen maybe. Um, Eflin, Mark Appel, who. Why do you think cheaters are useful, man? <laughs> What's that? Why do you think cheaters are useful? I don't know. Why don't you condemn them in the strongest terms? You got to write a column, Mark, uh, Mike. No, I'm I'm gonna write about my non-existent Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, there you go. Like like every good baseball writer does. Uh, yeah. When everyone's when is, gotta weigh in. When is that, by the way? Is that Ben Lively could compete for a bullpen job? That's right. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously Adam Morgan is pitching the bullpen. I don't. I wouldn't put him too much in the competition with all these other guys that we probably want to get a look at first. But you, that. You know, talking about spring storylines, just looking now at the roster in front of me, it's like incredible how many of these pitchers are guys that you, you know, at least one time were prospects or they're prospects now, or they're guys that, you know, pitched in the majors recently. There's a lot of, it's all young arms that you really want to get a look at. And that's, that, I'll take back, that's what I'm looking forward to the most of spring training. How this pitching logjam, like you said, kind of sorts itself out. Well, I'm looking, most looking forward to seeing you, Matt Breen. Thank you, Mike. Particularly in a short sleeve shirt. I'm looking forward Warm to seeing the pi- I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures from Sunday. That'd be cool. The what? Uh, the ne- pictures. Next Sunday, I'm gonna. I'll send you them. Okay, I can't. I go get the pick out. What goes on to save the date? I can't wait. I hope you're carrying. A, I hope you're carrying a picnic basket in one of them. <laughs> my buddy. My buddy. What did I? I said I hope you're carrying a picnic basket in one of them. My buddy did one of the. Yeah. <laughs> he did a shoot like down on uh him and his fiance did a shoot down on Kelly Drive or Westbury Drive. 
uh, and he was okay. like, uh, he was like reaching into a basket full of flower petals. It was I, awesome. I get th- I get three to one odds that you're leaning against a tree. That's what I. That's one of the more popular. There will be ones. no picnic basket. Maybe a tree. <laughs> okay. That doesn't sound too far fetched, but no picnic basket. All right, buddy. We'll see you. All right. See you guys. All right, and and everybody else. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.